welcome to Growth Institute. Tonight we're going to talk about evangelism. All right, we're going to talk about evangelism, but I want to look back and I want to look ahead, remind you of what we've talked about, remind you of where we're going, um, and then do a hopefully a good bit of discussion. There's a lot of weeks I told Pastor Jacob, uh, there's a lot of weeks that I come in and I'm like, all right, if I go through this material fast enough, we'll have five minutes to discuss at the end. Um, but if I don't, we won't get there today. If we don't discuss, we might have 10 minutes of class. So some of you are like, don't talk. You know, I remember like being in high school or college and it's like, if I got that warning, it'd be like, no, nobody, don't ask questions. We can all go home. It'll be good. But tonight I want us to walk through and I want to get your thoughts on some stuff. So I brought the whiteboard in to see how good you are at uh, listening to me. Because when I start writing on there, my penmanship is normally bad, but when I write on a whiteboard, it's even worse. So if you're not listening to what I'm saying as I write it down, you have absolutely no clue what it says. Um, It will be in English. I promise you I'm not writing in tongues. Um, I'm writing in English, but I may be the only one that can read it if you don't pay attention to what we're discussing. But I want to take some thoughts down and some notes down on that so we can discuss hopefully a little bit better. So last week, uh, somebody that was here and remembers last week with Pastor Sam, I'll give you a little hint on that. What did you guys talk about last week with Pastor Sam? Testimonies. Yep. Okay. How to share your testimony, how to walk through that, how to craft and understand, how to frame it, what to think about as before Christ as a, here's what I learned, here's how Christ has shaped me. Um, one of my mentors used to talk about and, and say regularly, your testimony is so much more than the moment of your salvation or when you think you trusted Christ as Savior. It's what God continues to do. And there should be something recent in your testimony, whether or not, whether you trusted Christ 60 years ago or six days ago, there should be something recent in your story of how God is working in your life as a result of what he began bringing you to salvation, okay? So you heard about that. Any big takeaways that you're like, ah, this was just really valuable from last week that you want to remind others of or share with others that might not have been in the room? Or you're like, hey, some of that was new, it was valuable, but I just don't have this big light bulb aha moment. Sometimes we get the light bulb aha moment and other times we don't. I thought it was helpful how he showed that, I mean, our, our story is part of um, God's story and what he's doing, the redemptive story, history throughout all of humanity, and how it really ties us then together. Mm-hmm. We have individual stories, but yet it's still one common story of Christ and what he has done. Good. Good. I thought it was good, too. I talked about including uh, sharing the gospel as part of your testimony, not mm-hmm. just this is not of all me, but tying into mm-hmm. it's God's story and here's here's how you could do that too type of thing. Right. Good. Yeah. Okay. Before that, a couple weeks back, uh, I walked you through evidence for the resurrection. Uh, talked about why I continually say if you're checking out Christianity, start with the resurrection. If it is true, the rest of Scripture matters. If it's not true, the rest of Christianity doesn't matter. Um, but why, ha- why we say around here, why I believe that it is more reasonable 
to believe that Jesus rose from the dead than that he did not. Though it is miraculous and it doesn't happen every day, that it is more reasonable to look at the evidence and argue that Jesus did rise from the dead than that something else happened with him. We walked through that. We talked about before that. We talked about evidence for Scripture. Um, And one of the big concepts that I ended that week with was calling upon us to not just try to defend Scripture, but to let the lion out of the cage to defend itself or to work in lives of people that doubt the authenticity, the veracity, the trustworthiness of Scripture. Just read Scripture with him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight, actually. So next week, Pastor Jacob and the problem, in quotes, of evil, because evil is not actually a problem, but it is problematic or hard to describe. You want to give us a 30-second snippet for next week, or you want to just wait until next week? All right, wait until next week. He's going to talk about the problem of evil. There we go. All right, one of the hardest questions for Christians to wrestle with and to answer is why do we believe that there is an all-powerful God who is all-loving and yet there is evil in the world? Um, one of the hardest questions for us to answer. And I'm glad Pastor Jacob's taking it on because it's not an easy one. So, um, so bring your thinking caps next week. Um, this week, I want to talk about evangelism. Okay, What is evangelism? Let's talk about defining it. All right, sharing the gospel, okay? Good, uh, that's one, that's a good start on it. You can do short definitions, long definitions, sharing the gospel. Let me, here we go, I'm gonna start, okay? I'm just gonna call it EV. Sharing gospel. And that is as good as my writing is getting. All right, so to sharing the gospel. Somebody else? Bigger definition, smaller definition. Uh, spreading the good news, which is probably the same. Yep, thing. Spreading good news. Okay, I like the phrase there at the end, spreading good news. Okay, somebody else? With the target audience being lost people. Okay. Mm. All right, so with both of these, with lost people. Okay. With the intention to um, convert. Okay. Just want to keep adding to what's being said. Hmm. Intention of conversion, sharing the gospel, or spreading good news with lost people with the intention to convert or a conversion. Anything else you want to add to it? I feel like Jesus should be in the answer. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I know we said gospel. Okay, that's because the story. All right, Sunday school answer. I think it's actually necessary. Yeah. I like it. And I feel like like words are necessary, right? right? Like it's not just like, oh, I'm doing evangelism with my life only, with right? Like words? with words, with scripture, with truth. Okay. Witness all the time, use words when necessary. It's like saying, you know, give me your phone number. 
use numbers if necessary. Right? The, the gospel or evangelism is rooted in what has happened with Christ, but it is done. It is a proclamation or it is done with words. It can be displayed. The results of the gospel can be displayed through deeds and should be. But witnessing absent words is not evangelism. You can't, but there is a uh, fairly famous t-shirt that says witness all the time, use words when necessary. One of those good Christian bumper stickers that is bad theology. Sounds great. Yeah. Part of it is uh, your deeds can distract. Yes. Yep. Your deeds can distract. Absolutely. And we can undo our words through our deeds very quickly. Okay? But our evangelism equals sharing gospel or spreading good news about Jesus with words, with lost people, with the intention to convert. Anything else we ought to add to our, what started as a really, really short definition? Like, the way I think about it, I think it could be several different things where you can't necessarily have one perfect definition. Um, Where you can have gospel conversations with people um, as you do life with them, which could be evangelistic. And then as you continue to develop relationships, then at a later point call or ask for them to um, make a decision based on your previous conversation. So, I mean, maybe that's up for discussion. So now you want to separate evangelistic from evangelism. That's what I heard. Doing things that are evangelistic without necessarily or as a part of evangelism or recognizing different stages of evangelism. Okay. So I guess the question is, do you always have to ask someone to respond to the gospel in order for it to be evangelism? Or can you do evangelism without actually getting to that point? All right. Let's, let me throw up this question and see if we can get to it in a little bit. So I'm going to put it down here. So is... A call to respond necessary. That is becoming more my normal style. There we go. All right, so is a call to respond necessary? I want us to come back to that because I think there's a good question. I think it's a good discussion point, but it's not quite where I want us to go yet. I think this is most of the elements Um, that I would normally include in a definition of evangelism. I'm going to give you a little bit more towards it in just a minute. I want to give you some others. Um, Basic book on evangelism from an Anglican standpoint would say presenting Christ in the power of the Spirit. By the way, none of you have the Spirit at this point. That men shall come to put their trust in God through him. That is the intent language. Um, to accept him as their savior, serve him as their Lord in the fellowship of his church. That's a bunch of little phrases in there. We didn't get the, you know, we, we talk about whether or not we should get to the Lord and Savior methodology. Is that in gospel? Is that in the good news? Is that part about Jesus that we're assuming? We didn't get to the whole, we didn't include the Holy Spirit and we did not include bringing them into the fellowship of the church. So I think there's some value in that because some people have, 
I'm going to say, separated in a very unhealthy way, evangelism and discipleship. Right? Um, when, I, when I think about that, tell me, what is it, when I say separate evangelism and discipleship, what could that look like? What do you think I might have in mind there? Focus on just one of those two things okay. and ignoring or pouring little energy into the other. Thinking only of seeing people converted but not growing as disciples or as only helping disciples mature in their faith but not really seeing the nations become disciples or the neighborhoods become disciples. Maturing disciples, but not seeing new disciples made. I think the Great Commission calls us to make disciples. That is a starts at conversion. That's a process that involves new conversion, but teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us, that's a pretty robust series of tasks. That doesn't mean like the great commission is not go and make converts and then leave them alone. It also isn't go and strengthen saints that are already there. It is make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and I am with you always, okay? Which is the Holy Spirit's presence in evangelism, right? So all right, so the separation of evangelism and discipleship has often occurred when we think about evangelism, and I don't think it's very helpful. Um, all right, another definition, classic definition, is the concerted effort and the power of the Spirit to confront unbelievers with the truth about Jesus and the claims of our Lord with a view to leading unbelievers into repentance towards God, faith in our Lord Jesus, and into the fellowship of his church so that they may grow in the Spirit. Man, we got all portions of the Trinity in there in multiple times. All right? It's good stuff there. And the church. Actually, no, no language about God the Father, but it's good. Long definition, though. All right? A definition that's fairly famous for seminary students and some of you may have heard before. Evangelism is one beggar telling another. Anybody want to finish it? Where to get the food. Where to get the food or where to find bread. Um, somewhere I saw today attributed to that the Spurgeon. I'm more familiar with that coming out of a Miles text, a Niles text, and I think it was 51 from what I was looking at. But one beggar telling another where to get food. I love the imagery of it at first. The imagery of that reflects that we have been rescued, that not by our own efforts and our works, but I think it belittles the gospel. Because we are no longer beggars. We're not one beggar telling another beggar. We are a former beggar not telling a beggar where to find some bread. We are a former beggar telling another beggar where to find a feast. Because there's so much more that happens as a result of the gospel than that we are just a beggar. We were an unworthy beggar, absolutely, but we haven't just found bread. We have found an eternal feast, okay? And you can take it much further than that, I'm sure. 
I like the way that it reminds us of what we needed and what we've received, but I like to, I like to shift that just a little bit. Bill Bright from Campus Crusade, now crew organization, evangelism is presenting Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. There's a different element to his definition than something we've covered so far. We'll read it again. Presenting Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. What does he include that nobody else has included pretty much so far? The power of the Spirit. Uh, power of the Spirit was present in the, most of the other ones, not ours up here. The results. Bright is helpful, I think, in reminding us that it is not our task to convert people. It should be our goal to see people trust in the worthy Savior who has rescued us and to glorify Him by doing so, but it is not our task to convert. So, I'm okay with the language here with the intention of conversion because we don't have the responsibility for conversion. And Bright is recognizing that our, you can be a faithful evangelist that does not see someone come to Christ on a day, a week, a month because you have been faithful to proclaim the gospel by the power of the Spirit and allow God to do his work in their lives. Uh, we've had a little discussion from time to time uh, among the pastoral staff. Should we be uh, eager and happy when we have been faithfully proclaiming the gospel? Or should we be grieving when others have not trusted Christ? And I, I think my position is both. It should be a both and. That we should be eagerly excited and f- say to God, God, I've given you my all, I've done my best, I've been faithful, and I can rest in that with a discontentment longing for others to trust in Christ um, at the same time. I, I think it's possible to have both of those positions in mind. Um, but some of those may come out more dominantly at sometimes than others. Okay? Short definition. Um, by Styles in his book, Evangelism, which I recommend for you. It's a really short book, okay? This book does pass the test of whether it is a good short book, meaning I can drop it, and I'm okay without still toe shoes on, all right? Next week, Pastor Jacob's book will not be that simple to drop and not hurt your foot, okay? Um, so, it's a short book. It's 120 pages, little tiny pages where you feel really smart when you read it fast. You know, I love short pages. Yeah, give me four pages, you know, four words per page, and I would feel super smart to get through a book that's like 500 pages in, a, you know, a couple hours. Um, so I like evangel- this book on evangelism. I found it fascinating. Um, it's going to frame some of my points in our discussion later. But he says that, the go- that evangelism is teaching the gospel, with the aim to persuade. So much of what we have, teaching, what, earlier we used the words sharing or spreading. He uses teaching. I'm okay with that if we understand that sharing and spreading are the articulation or helping people understand. Um, the word teaching, in my mind, from the way he says it, teaching conjures what I'm doing up here, not more informal sitting around a coffee table or chatting with somebody else. So I think there's some, in my mind, his definition seems more formal than I think he even intends it. It's just the way I see teaching because I've been in a classroom and did a whole lot of school. Right? Um, so, but teaching, I believe it was, was it teaching the gospel, same language we have here, 
with the aim to persuade. That's very close here. He just used smaller words. Okay? Aim to persuade or the intention of conversion. Somebody look up for me 2 Corinthians 5.11. Corey, I'll let you do that, please. 2 Corinthians 5.11. This is about the concept of being persu- of persuading. Okay, remember, we don't convert, but we should have an intent to persuade, but not with dishonesty, manipulation, etc. And that's something that has happened in evangelism, I think, before. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So he appeals to them knowing him, the way that he shares the gospel, and he says, knowing the fear of of God, we persuade. That is not just dry, sit here, hey, trust in Jesus or don't trust in Jesus. doesn't matter. No, it matters. Um, so it should be with the intent to persuade for their good and for God's glory. And out of our own desire and appreciation for them, us knowing the, the, the treasure that we have in the gospel, we ought to long for those that we care for to trust in Christ as well. Okay. So I'm okay with most of what we did up there. The only thing that I would want to clarify, so if I was going to write a definition of evangelism and I started to give you mine and I was like, eh, you guys really probably don't care that much about mine, but it would start with something. I typically go something like this, proclaiming the good news about the death plus resurrection of Christ so that there's my intent so that others understand and are urged respond that's where i would go proclaiming the gospel the good news by the way the word you evangelism comes from a greek word not going to pronounce it because others might have taken greek more recently than me um yeah yeah there you go um not going to pronounce that one but from the good news the word for evangelism comes from the same root of good news proclaiming the good news about the death and resurrection of christ That's my Jesus factor. I think the death and resurrection are both necessary of Christ so that intent, they may others understand, but my idea is lost on that, others understand and are urged, that's the persuasion, to respond. Because I don't think that you have shared the gospel if you have not gotten to the call to respond. Because I think that the gospel is not an intellectual fact to receive. I think it, at its root, is a call for response. It's a call for recognition of my sin before God that led to Christ upon the cross that calls for me to put him as my Lord and Savior or receive him as my only hope. I think that the gospel requires a response. Now, 
can you do things, I would say you can do things evangelistically without doing evangelism. Okay, or with the intent to do evangelism, that there's this process. You don't always get through with this. Okay? This can take a long, long time in some situations. And in other situations, you might be able to walk through this in two minutes. But sometimes this takes hours upon hours spread out over weeks, months, years to do. So I think you can be faithful in evangelism without getting through all these or be faithfully evangelistic without getting through a full definition of evangelism. So can you, is a call to respond necessary? I think it is as a part of the gospel, but I don't think we always have to push a poor person to respond. Hey, you know, so let me give you an example. I think it'd be easier to see an example. If we're role-playing for a minute, if I'm role-playing with Corey and sharing the gospel with Corey and, you know, Corey, uh, would you like to accept Jesus? You know, sorry, let's, let's back phrase, back, back talking. Let's go, let's use Jacob's example from uh, South Asia to where people there in that culture have many gods. End of our conversation, I get to them, hey, wh- what do you think I just shared with you about Jesus? And they give me a response, well, Jesus is powerful, he's supernatural, he did some awesome things, he's a great God. okay. They may have accurately understood a lot that I said, but if they're only going to place him as one among their many gods, it's not my call time to call them to respond at that point. It's to go back and root it in that he is the God above all gods, Lord above all lords, and that all of the nation's gods and other little g gods bow before him. It's not at that point to call them to respond because they haven't understood if they haven't understood their sin and why that's an offense before God, it's the wrong time to say, well, hey, are you ready to, to accept Christ as your Lord, repenting of your sins? If they have not understood. And if they haven't understood their own responsibility for sin and their own predicament before God, then there's more room for teaching to understand rather than having to move to a response because they don't know what they're responding to. Now, when someone does understand, they need to be, I would say, urged to respond because it is an urgent message. Um, It is repent or perish. It is worship an altogether holy God who is altogether good in an altogether broken world where Satan competes for your attention, affection as well. So I think there's an urgency to it, but I don't think we have to always say you must respond now because we haven't always articulated or helped people understand the good news of the death and resurrection of Christ in their place so that others, they might respond. That's my thoughts on it. There's other ways to work through that, but this is a fairly significant and common question. Um, For me, this is rooted in the gospel, that the gospel requires a response. So the, the shortest version of that is that the gospel is that starts with God, man, Christ, and response. Um, and I would use that articulation. So I guess just for sake of definition, yep. uh, would you say you're not, you did not do evangelism if the person you're sharing the gospel with hasn't gotten to the point for you to call response? I would say you have worked, I would 
I'd probably be sloppy in my terminology, and I've already been sloppy a little bit, but I would say that you have not completed the task of evangelism if you have not called them to respond. You may have been faithful, a faithful evangelistic witness, but you have not completed the task of evangelism if you have not gotten to a response, a call to respond. I think that's where I would say, but I also recognize that I haven't, that I will use that language in a sloppy way. But I would say that, that's where I would probably put it at. You haven't been faithful to complete the task of evangelism without getting there, but you can be faithful in your evangelistic efforts for that day, that period of time, or faithful, even regarded by God as faithful. But if we're going to define the word, I think we need to take a full definition all the way through to its completion. But if you are one that says God, that the gospel is God, man, Christ, yeah, Christ response, and you want to just say, hey, proclaiming the gospel with the intent of conversion or the aim to persuade, as Styles does, that's fine. Um, but for me, I think that's a, that's a fairly important one. And that's that harder one for me to get to. I need to include this in my own life because I am much more faithful to proclaim the good news about the death and resurrection. Here's what I believe. Hope you understand it. All right, see ya. That's a lot less challenging than, hey, here's what I believe about Christ and why he died and why that's necessary for you and for me. What do you understand about what I said and what do you think you should do with it? That, even moving that to that question is a whole lot more intimidating but it requires a person not just having an intellectual understanding of what you said. All right. So, moving a little bit quicker, but I'm going to clear this out for a minute to give some more room. When, before I came in here tonight, or even as a result of this at this point, when I say, we're going to talk about evangelism. What does evangelism picture in your mind? What do you picture with evangelism? Give me a picture. Mission trips. Mission trips, okay. Door to door. Door to door. Billy Graham, okay. Somebody else. What do you picture when I say evangelism? Like a street preacher, someone maybe okay. at the beach. Or yep. Street preacher. Okay. Somebody else. Or like just evangelism on the street, like you're just talking. Yeah. Like street evangelism. Talking a minute, you know. Yeah. Like, hey, we're walking down the street together. Hey, don't you want to walk down the streets of gold one day in heaven? Like, yeah. <laughs> that that was lame. I know that was lame. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Street conversations. Awkward. Nobody said the word awkward yet, but you could easily say that. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I, was, I had um, a conversation about that. We we came up with the term Jesus dealers. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's Jesus dealers. I agree. All right. When we, what comes to your mind when you picture evangelism? Mission trips, street preachers, door-to-door, street conversations, Jesus dealers, Billy Graham, anything else? 
All right, tracks. There we go. I was waiting on that one. I think an invitation to church is coming too. Okay, invitation to church. Okay. Method. The Roman Road, CWT, EE. You got them all. Four spiritual laws. Faith. Yep. On and on and on. All right. Somebody else. What do you picture? Anything else? You guys have missed one that I'm a little surprised you missed it, but I'm kind of encouraged. But I'm. Debate. Debate. Debating. Debating. Okay. Yep. Debate. John, what were you going to say? TV. Yeah, that's not really the one I was thinking of, but... Apologetics. Apologetics. All right. Jehovah's Jehovah's Witnesses do it. Yep. They're in that door-to-door camp. All right. Anything else? Jesus with his disciples. Man, you guys cannot read my brain today. Like a revival meeting. And what about the like the programs at church where you not just invite people to church like to a regular service, but like a youth gathering where you bring in the power team and those dudes that lift heavy weights show you that you can be strong for Jesus and trust in him? Or what about the big game dinners where we invite a bunch of men to eat manly stuff and do manly things and then have a manly man tell them about the man that died for them? Right. What about what, what about like the evangelist that travels? You're close on the revival side of things. What about the, the 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 scare tactics of churches to scare people out of hell? Hopefully, through heaven's gates and hell's flames, complete with chainsaws and you know flames and everything to remind you that hell is even scarier than what you saw in church. Y'all, y'all didn't have any of those mind, like mental pictures of church programs of evangelism? I think you have like the billboards with the flames on the bottom. That's yeah, like flame billboard. Yeah. No, like actual programs at a church where you... Oh, you got to get out of the north some more. Yeah. <laughs> Explain it, Corey. Just stop for a minute. see the power team and they'll break boards and then one of them will give his testimony. And the kids are like... How they can do all things for Christ who strengthens them. Like a, like a motorcycle, and he does tricks, and then like shares the gospel. And everyone's like, cool, I like the tricks. Oh, a trick you just did on me. I see what you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. And you have, have you not been, have you not seen like churches doing like judgment houses? The judgment house, yeah. At Halloween. Thing. Like, doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't seem like the right thing. <laughs> if it works, <laughs> the question is, does it work? <laughs> okay. It doesn't seem like the right thing. I love your response there. It doesn't seem like the right thing, but it has been the right thing, supposedly. But then, like, those people that go to those events, where are they now? Good question. Like what happens after? They, they, they missed that whole. Some of them missed the discipleship arm. Other times they've done. Now, sometimes don't work. Yep. So those mission trips sometimes right. don't work. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, all of them. All of them are programs where we're trying to do it versus 
just meeting people and being friends with them and then sharing on, you know, as a, as a natural way versus an unnatural way is what he's pointing out. But some of you have seen somebody come to Christ through a natural seeming way, organic seeming way, that's not walking with Jesus right now. You thought they came to Christ at least. So it's not just that some of these methods, where, where are there people at where they, where they evangelized but not discipled? Like that happens with all of them. Of our Baptist thinking, which is once saved, all saved, because if you know we we go well, that if they're not walking now, therefore they weren't saved, and therefore that program wasn't ineffective. Versus people are people, and you've got to make the constant decision to to accept, you know, follow Christ. Yep, that constant lifelong. We do our best to make sure someone is a believer before we baptize them in our church. But ultimately, that's going to be displayed over their life with Jesus, not just in that moment. Um, but we don't wait until the end of their life to baptize them either. Okay? So there's a little bit of, of both on that. I think that some of these, I mean, some of these are, can be comical in the way that I was making some jokes on them. Some of them can be done in absurd ways. All right, getting a guy that can bench press 500 pounds in there and saying, listen, Jesus made me able to do this, and he can make you do it too if you'll just trust him as Savior. That is not the gospel. Okay? There's a lot of stuff that's gone on. And scaring someone and then asking, you know, then, well, don't you want to receive Jesus as your Savior so you don't go to hell? Listen, you know, and this goes back with the children's ministry thing, man. I'd ask popcorn into my heart if that was going to keep me out of hell. Okay? So it's not just to worry about, like, is Jesus going to be your savior because they haven't understood the good news of Christ? Yes, there is bad news, but there's good news. And he's our Lord and savior, our master and rightful one in charge. So some of these are not as effective. And some of these we would even disagree with probably methodologically, but I'm willing to bet that some of you in here or at least multiple people in our church have probably would say they began or they were brought to faith through a method like some of these that some of you would disagree with. I remember uh, in my own life, I trusted Christ as Savior at a young age, probably age six or seven. But about age 12, like I attended one of those scare, you know, judgment house things. And man, it set me straight on walking back with Jesus. I remember like walking the aisle, talking to the pastor, making sure that I needed to nail those things down. And it ignited a passion in me to be in the Word at that point. And that lasted for a long, long time in my life. Now, was I saved at an earlier age? I'm pretty confident of that. But did God do something mightily in my life to bring me back into a right relationship and walk in fellowship with him as a part of a judgment house, which is a method that I'm really not a big fan of? Absolutely. Um, okay. So, lots of, now some of these, like TV preacher, I think Billy Graham was a pretty good one. Some of the other ones, pretty bad, okay? All right. But there's different methods, but... There's one or two that I didn't really hear much about. We'll talk about in just a minute. Okay. Who does the task of evangelism belong to? 
Everyone, thank you. Okay, it's not my job. I might be the worst evangelist in our church. Slight overstatement because I have a responsibility to evangelize and proclaim the good news to lost people as well with the intent to convert and not just from the pulpit. Okay? I should be doing that from the pulpit, but I should be doing that in personal relationship, but God has put you into the lives of non-believers. You interact, for the most part, most of you interact with more non-believers than your pastors do. All right, is the job of everyone in the church to evangelize. All believers are called to make disciples. That begins with seeing people trust in Christ as Savior. So it's not just those of you that come on Wednesday night and, and Growth Institute and really gear up. All right, so how does the church participate? What are some ways that the church can participate in evangelism? Make, sorry. Keep it as a focus. What, keep it as a focus? All right. Training workshops. Training workshops. All right. Yep. Training workshops. So that's equipping you. So one of the tasks of the church is equipping, pastors is equipping the saints for works of service. But training uh, and then focusing. Lonnie, somebody else? What are some ways the church the church can participate in evangelism? Our testimony. Sharing testimony. Yep. Publicly or training you to do that in private? Having things that are outreaches. Okay, some things that are easier. By outreach, what do you mean? That do evangelism, you know, that reach out to not just people in the church. Okay. Yes, or, you know, that kind of stuff for youth. Or, okay. So I'm going to say having... Bonnie, would it be faithful to say having events under that is what you're thinking? Programs. Events, yeah, programs. You know, that, that's its focus. Yep. There are, there are times, if all of your church services as evangelistic, you're not discipling. All right. But it's because that's for your people. Okay. But you ought to have a focus where you're reaching out to okay. people who aren't in your church. Yep. All right. I can see that. You you can say when we give like to Echo and do things like that. That's somewhat of evangelism, but only if we also share. Yep. I'm going to go back to this part if with with words. Yeah. Okay. So it requires words. It requires an articulation of the gospel. I think the church offers setting like a setting for accountability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we're kind of hitting on some other stuff that I wanted to get to. Account, uh, is AC? Accountable. Hold me accountable for spelling it. That's an A, not an I. Okay, there we go. Accountable. Account or account table. There we go. All right. The good news is, if I had just put a letter in there, you would have had no clue if I put an A or an I, and I could have gotten by with it. Should have just gone on. It's like that reading. Unaccountable. Yeah, it's not accountable for my spelling of it. All right. I think that the church does evangelism in our singing. If our, not every song, but I think in our singing, we are contributing to evangelism. I think there are probably some ways in which they're even urging people to respond. Or even the public singing 
is a call for those that are non-believers in there because others are singing it. That actually is a call to sing, which is a statement of response, hopefully. Otherwise, the mouth isn't matching what the reflection of the heart is. But I think we do it in our singing. I think we can do evangelism in our preaching. I think we can do evangelism in our programs. I think we can do evangelism in the ordinances or sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism that display the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, each, Almost every time that I do the Lord's Supper, you will hear me say a phrase towards the end of it. For those of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior, today you take a symbol of what Christ has done. But if you have not trusted him as Savior, then today don't take the symbol, take the Savior. Don't take a snack, take the substance who is the Savior. Um, That is a urge or a call to respond through the symbol of the supper. So also baptism. Um, When the first pastor I served under, he used to tell people right before their baptism, hey, we're getting ready to go out here. We always did our baptisms in public because the church didn't have a baptismal where they were meeting, but at the lake or, or somewhere like that. And he'd look at them and say, hey, you, you know you're getting ready to preach your first sermon. And they'd, oh, no. You know, eyes wide. I'm not ready for this. Oh, you're just you're preaching and proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and what you're about to do. Right? There's in that. There is evangelism or preaching. Prayer and accountability. That one we haven't hit is the church's involvement in prayer for people to trust in Christ and be converted by the work of the Spirit, but also in our prayers that we would be faithful to proclaim Christ and holding each other accountable. So, all right. So, there on those types of things. And because evangelism is with lost people. But if our definition of evangelism was sharing the gospel or something around that, sharing the gospel with lost people with the intent to convert, the proclaiming of the gospel is not just for lost people. It's the means by which we also grow. So, Yes, there should be times that we make it easier, I think, as a church to invite people or to concentrate on things related to the gospel that people might be brought by the Spirit to conversion. But we shouldn't need to change everything we're doing to do evangelism in the church. As if what we're preaching about on a weekly basis is not the gospel and the work of Christ on our behalf, We shouldn't have like, hey, this month we're going to have an evangelistic sermon. It's the first Sunday of the month. It's an evangelistic sermon. Like, no, every sermon should be an evangelistic sermon if the heart of evangelism is about the gospel of what Christ did in our place through his death, burial, and resurrection, then every sermon should be an evangelistic sermon. Otherwise, it's not a Christian sermon. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't ever do anything special or unique or have times when we concentrate on those things? No. Does that mean that we should never have a month where we as a church try to grow in our evangelism? No. Like, there's different times with that. But if you have to change what you're preaching to have an evangelistic sermon, then you ought to change what you're preaching every week. Because every sermon ought to be evangelistic. Because every sermon ought to be rooted in the good news of Christ. Okay? So what does an evangelistic church look like? It's confidence in the power of the gospel. Uh, Jacob, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, please. 
An evangelistic church has confidence in the power of the gospel. Go ahead. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Romans 1 reminds us that the gospel shows the righteousness of God, but the gospel has the power of God for salvation. We don't need some gimmick to break a board to show how strong we are and how God made us strong so that kids will trust Christ as Savior so that they can be strong too. The gospel has the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation for all people. So an evangelistic church actually should have confidence in the power of God at work in the gospel. And that's the starting point, is that we believe in the power of God in the gospel. It's a theological starting point, not us. An evangelistic church shouldn't be marked by what they do, but first by what they believe has been done for them. Theological foundation that leads to engagement with others. Okay? Confidence in the power of the gospel. Yes, I think an evangelistic church should be somewhere that invites other people to come to church. But not like to come to church so that they don't have to talk to other people about the gospel. Like come to church and then talk with your person that you invited to church about what you heard. Take them to lunch afterwards. Catch up with them during the week. Hey, what you see and understand? What, what didn't make sense? Is there something about this? Like invite people in. What we do in here is weird. It used to not be weird, but in our new culture, it is weird what we do here. So like invite some people that you know to do things weird. All right, and then see them interact, ask questions. What did you, what did you learn? What did you see? What, what happened there? All right, an evangelistic church should be invitational, and you should feel comfortable inviting people to the gathering of the saints. But the church is a gathering of the saints for celebrating Jesus and being equipped, not just like you don't just bring people to church as an evangelistic harvest every week. So my, my task is, and I see my task to equip you by proclaiming the gospel, that you see the value of it in your day-to-day life. Not you go out all week, try to bring some people in so that we can see them get saved on Sunday. I want you to interact with others about what we see and do here. Read the Bible with people. I was talking with Pastor Ron earlier today. He said, I had something come up. I was supposed to be meeting with somebody. I couldn't do what, I made, what you want me to do on Saturday, but then it got canceled. And I was like, well, what were you going to do? He said, oh, we've got this neighbor, and I can't remember what country he told me from. But she's been really curious about Bible stuff lately. So she's been reading the Gospel of John, and we were going to talk with her about it. I, was like, I guess that's a good excuse to not do. And then he's like, but it got canceled. So, you know, I can do that. Awesome. Read the Bible with somebody. Let the lion out of the cage. Let them ask their questions. And when you don't have a good answer, come and ask somebody else at the church. That's how an evangelistic church works, okay? I love the way that our Hispanics do evangelism. I love that they are excited about it, that they all know who's, like, not trusted Christ as Savior. They all know, like, who everybody's praying for. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy, man, he needs Jesus. He's coming around. He needs Jesus. Man, I was so excited he was here. We invited him. We prayed for him. He's here. He's not there yet, but he's here. Where's that? 
like we could grow. We got some things to learn from you guys that got evangelistic culture in that. Like one of the things that I'm toying with, and we'll talk about, and we're going to run out of time on this, is how we become a more evangelistic church. But it may very well be that Jacob and I work so that one month next year that we make you start Sunday school class with sharing evangelistic prayer requests before you get to any other prayer requests. And it'd be the focus of the month. Not to say you can't pray for anybody else's organs, okay, and whatever's going on in life, but that you start by saying, here's who I'm praying for and here's how it's going. We want to be invitational, yes, but we also want to be accountable to each other to be evangelizing. And there ought to be a corporate witness of the church. Christ talks about our unity and our love for one another, that others can know that we belong to him. Okay? And yeah, there's times for programs, um, but ultimately I am less and less convinced of the value of a one-time program, even when the gospel is really, really good and really proclaimed well and not just, hey, God made me strong, he can make you strong too. Um, because I think our culture is changing from that. And the hard part is what you win people with is what you win them to. Um, and if you get them to come for the big show, that's what they largely expect every week. Not to say it doesn't work from time to time, not to say that it's not true conversion, um, but I'm not a huge fan. I'm less and less of a fan of putting tons and tons of energy into one night for those types of things and more of a fan of putting energy into God's people to interact with others. So how do you become a more evangelistic church? One, uh, I think this is, might be in your note packet or your homework reading. Speak highly of church. Like the role of the church in witnessing, the role of the church is light of the world, which was the original title of the topic for tonight was the, the church is the light of the world. And I've kind of talked a little bit about individual evangelism, but I've tried to keep us at corporate evangelism. Speak highly of church. People already have a bad impression of it for the most part or a wrong impression of it for the most part if they're non-believers. Just speak highly of it. Hmm? Invite others. Interact with them afterwards. Hang out with non-believers. One of my mentors used to say, hey, if you can't pull out your phone and find the phone, you know, phone number of three or four non-believers that aren't family members, you're probably not hanging out with non-believers enough to do evangelism. That, that's changed a little bit. I wanna make, don't want to make that like a hard rule and guilt you. But if you're never around non-believers... Can you be more intentional in your presence with non-believers? Um, I am not a master at this. Um, but this summer, um, and I, I share this as a conclusion remark and a, a way to pray for me and for Sam. This summer, uh, you guys, many of you know, I love basketball. I love coaching basketball. I've coached my kids for a number of years. I've been coaching basketball since 2008. Um, and love it. Um, this summer, an opportunity came along for me to coach basketball as a part of my kids' homeschool network and coach a bunch of uh, Christian kids in a homeschool environment uh, and put in for a job. No guarantee I would have got it. Reasonable chance I would have gotten it. Wouldn't have paid anything. Um, but, and it would have been pretty cool. Um, coaching one of my kids and prayed about it, thought about it for a little while, and had that on one side and the other side. Uh, last year, uh, I've coached in the community for a long time. Um, last year, Sam and I took on a group of uh, David's peers, who's now, he was in fifth grade, they're in sixth grade now, um, that advanced kids, good players, uh, spent a lot of time investing in them. And I would have had to give that one up 
And so I said, you know, listen, I can either coach with kids that I agree with, parents that I'll generally agree with in a Christian environment, or I can coach one or maybe two, not sure that any of the other kids on the team are believers, with David's peers. Which one do I want to do? One's a higher level, whether comparable in, in, in level. Which one do I want to do? One looks more prestigious than community involvement. And I took a couple of days and knew what I felt like God wanted me to do. So I told the homeschool board that as a pastor, I didn't engage with the lost a lot, that my engagement with the lost community was through coaching basketball. And that's where I spend multiple hours a week with kids and their parents that don't know Jesus. That if I chose to coach Christian kids, I would spend the, literally the entirety of my week, minus when I'm at the doctor or the grocery store, with believers. So for me, at this point in life, my engagement that's a natural engagement is there. So you can pray for us that we will do more than coach basketball, that we will be evangelistic and get to walk through evangelism with teammates, with players, with parents, that we won't just be coaches, but that we'll point them to Jesus with words, not just with our attitudes, that we won't lose the real reason why we actually do that, which isn't just the love of the game. You can pray for us to be faithful. That's how... I am trying to interact with lost people right now. Where are you trying to interact with lost people? And when are you telling other believers how you're doing it so that they'll pray for you and come up to you and say, how's that going? Jason, you just told me that David's team won three games in a row. How's it going making spiritual inroads? I know that you're winning games. That's good. But let's talk about the other. So when you hear me talk about basketball, free game, ask me how the spiritual stuff's going, remind me, check in on me, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you that there is good news about how we, though enemies and beggars, cannot just be brought a drop of bread, but given an eternal feast and brought into a right relationship with you. Give us the opportunity to share that with others. And God, by your spirit, would you bring others to repentance and faith, seeing them grow as disciples who make disciples for your glory. Help our church to be faithful as a light in the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.